powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before, the CEO and Leaders podcast show. We have one clear objective to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. This is Tony Richards, along with our chief producer, William Foster. Hello. And we want to ask you a favor. Would you please give us a five-star rating? Because it helps us move up the podcast charts so other people will find our podcast and they'll get interested and can share in the value that you're getting from us on our podcast each week. It's a nice gift you can give to us and we'll be internally grateful for you and for that and for listening. On the show today, Sarah Sear, health and diet coach, is here to help us stay healthy and eating well. Uh, Do you ever play bad event movies in your mind? about future things that could eventually go wrong or be bad. I'm going to teach you how to get rid of that. And how do our presidents rank in terms of being psychopathic? So that's all coming up on today's show. And let me just tell you right off the bat, the list excludes President Trump because the survey was done in 2016 before the presidential election. So excluding him... We have our list of psychopathic presidents coming up later in the show. If you need a business advisor or coach, I'd love to talk about working with you. You can contact me at Tony at clearvisiondevelopment.com. I'd love to talk about coaching you, advising you, and or working with your executive team. Tony at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Okay, eliminating fear of future events. So this is where you ever worry or fret I mean, it's basically the, the, the thing you do over and over that creates the movie in your mind. My mom is a chronic worrier and fretter. I mean, she worries and frets about everything that comes down the pike. And I'm like, Mom, but, you know, we don't know that's going to happen, you know. But, and it almost like ruins her little party, you know, that I'm getting rid of her fretful fears, you know. But Uh, We tend to do that sometimes, and if we do it too much, it can become a really chronic bad habit of constantly worrying and fretting and talking about bad stuff that's going to happen. You worry about your girlfriend breaking up with you. You worry about not having enough money. You worry about losing your job. You worry about your boss not liking you. You worry, you worry, you worry, and day after day, you are becoming what you think about. And so if you keep thinking about it and you keep worrying about it, you create this movie in your mind of this terrible future event that you just continually add to it and add to it. Now, um, let's, let's go through this questions uh, framework that I can give you a couple of times a day. When you start worrying or you start fretting, you need to stop and ask yourself these questions to try to get rid of that toxic thought, right? Because that's what it is. And unless your boss has warned you, 
right? Your bosses brought you in and said, you got one last chance and this is the last straw. Okay, well then you might have something to worry about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just sit at your desk and worry about getting fired for no reason at all, right? And so here's what you need to do a couple of times a day. Instead of having that toxic thought about getting fired or getting a divorce or whatever it is, you need to stop. And the first question you ask yourself, is this true? Is this truth that I'm thinking? Or is it just my mind going nuts on me? Number two, is there any way for me to possibly know that this is true? Right? Because a lot of those thoughts are based on suspicions and suspects, not on real evidence, right? So stop and slap yourself in the face and say, hey, can I really know, do I have any substantial evidence that this is even remotely true? Or is this just my mind going off the reservation? Now, number three, and this is the one that I really want to stress to you. Number three is, how do I react or respond when I start with this thought process? So I start thinking about getting fired or I start thinking about getting a divorce and that movie starts playing in my mind. I picture myself going down the hall and walking in my boss's office and shutting the door and then my boss railing on me and throwing me out and me getting my severance package and the movie is just so complete, right? So what happens to you? Let me ask you this question, Producer Bill. What happens to you when you go to the movies and watch a movie? Uh, eventually it will end. Right. But what's, what are you thinking and feeling as the movie's going on? Oh, that it's real. Yeah. And so you're feeling all sorts of things, right? You're feeling like suspense and you're feeling tense and you might be a little stressed because the movie's whole purpose is to introduce some conflict or tension or you think, man, this is a boring movie, right? When you get these crazy movies that play in your head of negative future events that aren't real, you go through the same emotions. And if you're not careful, what's going to happen is that's going to get in your mind and it's going to get in your talk and in your dialogue and you're going to start talking it because that movie is played over and over and over. I have conversations with people. I know exactly where the conversation is going almost word for word and know exactly when it's going to end. And it usually isn't going to end well. And it's just like they have played that movie in their head over and over and over. Now it's coming out in dialogue. And it's almost like you want that to happen, you know, and guess what? It will eventually happen, but you will have worried and fretted and negative yourself right into that situation. Question four, right? So question three was, how do I react or respond when this movie plays? Number four is, what is the story in my head that created this movie in the first place? Because we all tell ourselves stuff that turns into a story that turns into an ongoing movie. And then we start thinking and feeling that movie just like it's real, but it's not real. It's stuff that we've made up in our head. And now we've actually started to believe it. And now we've actually started to talk it. And now we're definitely on the road to making it happen. Right. And question number five, who or what would I be if I didn't think this? 
And most of the time, the answer is a better person, a happier person, a more fulfilled person. If I could get rid of this thought process and get rid of this movie, which is not going to be easy, if you've played that movie several, several times, you're going to have to have discipline and train yourself to get off the movie, right? Change the channel. Let's move on to something a little better. Start thinking positive thoughts and let's get a positive movie going in our head and What's difficult about it is our brains are almost born negative, right? So we all think the worst or we think we're not good enough or we're not quite, can't measure up or whatever. And we can't allow that thought to be free in our head because it's going to have kids and that kid's going to turn into kid thoughts, right? And it's going to turn into bad thoughts and it's going to reproduce itself and it's going to turn into a movie. Then it's going to turn into dialogue. And you got to, as Barney Fife would say, nip it, nip it in the bud, right? And so those are some questions and a framework you can use if you have chronic fear of any future events that are basically BS. All right, Sarah Sear is coming up next. We're talking health and diet, and I, I ate well for lunch today just so I could look good in front of Sarah. So she's going to be here next. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. <laughs> We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards. Excited today because Sarah Sear is here with us. And uh, Sarah is a food wellness uh, life coach who's going to talk to us about our diet. Producer Bill and I need this very badly. We, we need to hear more about our diet and our exercise and, and our uh, healthy choices and all that. So Sarah's here to help us today. She received a business and psychology degree from Central Methodist College, where she did an emphasis in pre-law, and then she received her Juris Doctorate from Washburn's Law School in 2001 at only 23 years old, and during her law school education, she worked at restaurants uh, that her now husband Craig worked at to make a little money and spend time with uh, Chef Craig, and then she was promoted to manager at New City Cafe, and they also uh, previously owned and have just 
sold to a brand new owner, the wine cellar and bistro in downtown Columbia. And she pursued the Wine Spectator Award and worked diligently on her wine list. She's received the Award of Excellence from Wine Spectator every year since 2005. So I'm excited to get to talk to her because she's going to give us some education in all sorts of things like wine and food and healthy choices. Sarah, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Tony, for having me. Thanks for coming over and rescuing us. (laughs) Telling us all this great stuff. I knew you were coming today, so I had a salad for lunch and an apple and some Greek triple zero yogurt and a big old water because I knew you were going to be on the show. Did you think I was going to ask you what you ate for lunch? No, but I didn't want to have Big Mac (laughs) breath or anything, you know, so I didn't want you to get in trouble with with you. But thanks for coming. So fill in some of the blanks for me. So tell me some of your background before you got into this wild uh, restaurant uh, history and stuff. Well, I really did think I was going to practice law. And mm-hmm. when I was in law school, I focused on mediation. I was always really wanting to sit down with people and help them work out some sort of problem. That's why I did the BA in psychology before. I just never could kind of put my finger on where I would end up. Um, so when I met Craig, he was in culinary school and I was in law school. And actually, I met him right before that. And we just we did the restaurant business together. And once I decided to not practice law, He said, hey, will you open a restaurant with me? And I said, sure, I guess practicing law will be plan B. And it just never, we never needed it. Yeah. So there's a lot of wine in business and psychology both. So you probably, all that stuff goes (laughs) together. Well, I just decided um, instead of being the uh, career oriented person that was stressed out all the time, I would be the person that was the hospitable, come sit down here and let me take your mind off your day person at the, with the restaurant business. Yeah. And I've kind of done the hospitality thing in the restaurant business and the wine program ever since. Where were you born and where'd you grow up? So I was born in Farmington, Missouri, and I traveled with my mom and my sister and lived in different places all over Missouri. So yeah, that's awesome. So then tell me about the garden project. So part of what we did at the wine cellar, Craig really wanted to focus on local and organic foods. And we really wanted, we had a really lovely farm. Um, It's about 15 acres and we really wanted to grow organic vegetables, didn't know how to do it. Partnered with CCUA to come out and teach organic gardening classes. And that way we would also have help doing it Mm -hmm. with 20 people or 30 people that wanted to learn too we could do small projects and get lots of things done and then in addition to that we could feed them an organic lunch and I could pair organic and biodynamic wines with lunch as a way to tell them thank you and that started in 2013 we did that for five years and it was just fantastic we had guest speakers that came and talked about all kinds of wellness issues and that's when I really started geeking out about wellness and wanting to add a lot more into what we were doing with the food and wine and add more wellness stuff to um, our lives. And so the speakers would come in and you're starting to think, you know, I think I could do that, right? I was thinking that I need to know a lot more about this, which means um, get my own life coach, get my, get my own spiritual coach, start meditation, do yoga, do acupuncture, read as many books as I could, listen to podcasts. Like I just kind of went nerded out on it. Oh, wow. So you're going through a program right now to get a certification in coaching, right? That's right. It's a wellness certification program, um, wellness and life coaching. And the reason I wanted to do that is we, I started a series down at the wine cellar called, it's a wine tasting series called you are what you eat, drink and think. Mm, Oh my. And it's been a blast. And what I noticed is I was discussing all these wellness topics with friends and we were having 
a glass of wine usually and having these discussions. And I thought, you know, this would be really fun to do in a group instead of just talking and learning about wine. Why can't we do both? Learn a little bit about, about wine and then to have a wellness topic like creating good habits and breaking bad habits or dealing with big life changes or, um, you know, how to deal with hard relationships, have kind of that kind of a topic going on that we could discuss while we also learned wine. And then I learned how to theme everything together. Like with creating good habits and breaking bad habits, we did old world wine versus new world wine. Mm. And then we have, um, tasty bites to go along with it. So that's kind of the series I started and wanted to get my certification so I could coach the individuals that wanted to see me privately and be able to have that certification. That's great. So you hear all the time about, you got to make good choices. You got to make healthy choices. So can you expound on that just a tad for me and tell me what that really means? Okay. Well, no matter whether I'm like teaching a class or doing it with an individual consultation, it really depends on two main things. Making good food choices are really about an individual concept of like what's best for you physically. What's the best diet for you to where you have enough fuel for your day? What's the best eating protocol that works best for your body? What's the best eating window for your schedule? And then the second part of that is where are you mentally or emotionally? Where you, Are you where you need to be to get the results you want? Are you motivated versus being frustrated? Are you gaining confidence versus, let's say, like shaming yourself through it? Hmm. So I'll just be transparent here for a second. So I, I think I have a, um, I, I know where the root of some of my unhealthy choices come from. And it comes from growing up in a family where we were very uh, modest and meager in means. But my grandmother and my mother always said, but we are going to have food and we're going to eat. And in the South, eating well does not, we are not talking about what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Because eating in the South, that is uh, that is uh, fat and grease and baking and our our uh, other food group called cornmeal, right? And so I I sometimes get into that habit of I'm I'm reminiscing. I wish I had that, and boom, off to somewhere I go to get you know some cornbread and some you know something to go with it, fried fish or something, right? Instead of eating fish the right way. <laughs> Which in your world, I'm going to say the right way. Um, so how do people break those cycles? Do you have advice for that? Yeah, you really have to dive into where that starts, just like what you were saying. So the nostalgia of that for you. So the idea is that your thoughts about it are really driving your feelings. And those feelings are really what are causing you to go out and take the action that you're taking the action to do, which is eat poorly or to eat whatever you want to bring back the nostalgia or eat to bring you comfort or eat to help you relax or whatever it is. Stress relief. Exactly. And, and then looking at, is that getting you the results that you want? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then we have to really look at the thought of, um, this well, since, is, since you are what you eat, no, it's not getting me the results I want. Right. Yeah. So then we would have to really look at that thought and figure out where it came from and what it really means to you. All right. So tell me, how do you, I mean, I described some of those, uh, cause I've been thinking about it for years, but just for our listeners out there, what would just generic flatline poor choices be, right? How do you define that? Okay. So I define it with overeating and what the definition of overeating is. Okay. So 
Um, overeating is when you eat foods that are not fuel. So fuel is everything that's bringing you all the nutrients that you want. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be like a salad, right? It can be like a nutritionally dense food. It can be whole grains. It can be fish. It can be tons of fruits and vegetables. But nutritionally dense food is your fuel. So if you're eating foods that are not fuel and also you eat more food than your body actually needs. So you could be eating really healthy, but let's say you're eating all the time. Well, then you're eating more than your body needs. So those are the two things that are showing you that you're overeating. If you're eating things that are not fuel and you're eating more than your body needs and people know when they're overeating because then they're not in the body that they want to be and they don't feel good. And that's pretty much how you know. Do people generally know what causes it, where it starts? I mean, I think people know that they overeat or they eat, make poor food choices. Um, they just don't know like how to stop it. They don't know why they're doing it. They get into this, the rut of it. They want to reward themselves. They want to comfort themselves. They want to feel good, de-stress, deal with their day, whatever it is that we just, we naturally just do that. That's how we've just kind of always done it. Yeah. And it's really hard to get out of that. What about, uh, I, here's here's a scenario that makes it hard to get out of that. So, man, we're going to get together this weekend. We've got 12 or 15 of our closest buddies and friends and family, and we're going to cook out, and we're going to, you, you know what we're going to do. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to eat a lot, right? Right. And so that whole context of uh, that community, whatever you want to call that community, is driving that event which we associate with being good, right? So what advice do you have people? I mean, can they still go to something like that uh, and and fight off the peer pressure and all that? Or, I mean, I'm sure that's difficult. Yeah, it's so difficult. We, we celebrate with food all the time and we want to celebrate. Celebrating is really fun. Um, but it's really about looking at those events and questioning the idea of, do you have to overeat to go and enjoy those foods and have a good time with your friends and family? Do you have to overeat or do you have to just eat one thing? Do you have to just eat the barbecue? Can you also eat a little bit of barbecue and then a bunch of vegetables and some salad? And can you have some fruit and feel really good and still celebrate? Like, mm. can you question the whole idea of we have to overeat, overconsume together to connect? Mm. So what does over-desire mean? Yeah, so over-desire is a big one. Um, there's kind of two things that cause overeating. And the first one's when your hormones are out of whack. And that happens when your um, your blood sugar's off, like your insulin's off or your ghrelin's off or your leptin's off, which controls or tells you um, not only keeps your blood sugar level, but also when you're too full or when, or when you're, when you are full and when you are hungry. So if those hormones are out of whack and you can't know or feel when you are full and you can't also, um, know when you are appropriately hungry, then that's just like, that's pretty much most of us. Like when you eat things that are highly processed and high in flour and sugar and your blood sugar's off, then it's really hard to tell those, those hormones are off. Is that why a 15 or 14 year old boy can drink a gallon of milk? <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> but it, you know, just like go through five gallons of milk a week and all that. But it definitely, um, like a bowl of pasta, for example, you know, I've always noticed that you can eat more pasta than you really like you can eat. A, we can eat a lot of pasta right? Well, because that spikes up your blood sugar and then insulin turns around and blocks the hormone that tells you that you're full. And both of those end up working against you to where you overeat pasta. Mm -hmm. And it's like really easy to overeat pasta. And that's why, because those hormones are so out of whack. What about like Chinese food? 
Same thing. Yeah. You can overeat that stuff pretty quick too. Yeah. Same thing. And Mm. yeah. So that's like the first reason it's like your hormones are out. And the second reason is what you were asking me about, which is over desire. And that's not just about food. That's over consuming anything. Like we have over desire for things. We want to consume food and alcohol and shopping and social media and porn or Netflix, whatever it might be to feel better. And what we're doing is we're actually giving ourselves that rush of dopamine in our brain that makes you feel like you're doing something really awesome. And at the same time, you're avoiding what you don't want to feel, which is the stress of your day or something that's pissed you off or something that's, you know, really frustrating or you're just bored. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just boredom. So can you quit that or or is that something you have to replace? So you have to, in order to deal with over-desire, you have to learn to allow negative emotions, which is something that we really don't know how to do at all. Hmm. And negative emotions sounds like such a bad thing, right? Like you have to feel negative emotions, but it's really like we think we're supposed to be happy all the time. And when we're not happy, then it's like, what can I go to do to fix that? I can't fix that situation, so I'm going to go make myself happy by doing this or Mm -hmm. eating that. Mm -hmm. And so we constantly are fighting, feeling negative emotion because we think it's such a bad thing. But in actuality, the human experience is feeling both 50-50, feeling good and feeling bad. Sometimes we want to feel sad. Sometimes we want to feel mad. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the dopamine. So uh, most people, they want that dopamine rush, right? Is that a healthy thing? Do you have to find other things to give you the dopamine rush or can you live without the dopamine rush? So for each person, it's different, but finding that balance of a short-term pleasure where you get a dopamine rush and the balance that you get your long-term pleasure to be healthy or whatever that long-term pleasure is, Hmm. is different for everybody. So really like looking at, you know, you're doing it wrong when you give yourself short-term pleasures, you overconsume something and then you feel guilty about it. And then because you feel guilty about it, you overconsume something else or more of the same thing because you feel guilty and you're avoiding feeling guilty. Oh, so you're like in a doom loop then. You're totally in a doom loop. Uh Yeah. So what is just some practical things that people can do to avoid getting in this vicious cycle so practicing feeling urges and negative emotions are kind of where I start with people we like first we develop kind of a healthy protocol or like what they want their diet to look like and I say diet it doesn't necessarily mean like restricting things it means like let's set up a meal plan that feels really good to you and then stick with it And it can be mostly what you're already eating, but maybe you want to switch up a few things here and there just to prove to yourself that you can do it and gain some confidence and stick with it and not give in to the urges to get off of it. And then practicing when you have those urges, which is like, it's like your prefrontal cortex versus your temper tantrum throwing child in your brain, Mm -hmm. like your prefrontal cortex that plans in advance versus oh my God, I want that. I've had a bad day. I deserve it. I need that. I'm doing that. Yeah. Or I just had a big victory. Yeah. I just had something really awesome happen. Right? And I need to celebrate by. I need by... to celebrate by getting a DQ cone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, and we prog- that, program that in our kids at such a young age. Well, I was victorious today because, uh, you know, a lot of times you can just leave the office for lunch and go out and get in my car. And it's just so handy to go through the drive through yeah. at any one of fast food, right? right? Or I have to get out of my car. I have to go into the store. I have to get a cart. I have to go get some salad or, you know, this, that, and the other and take it back to the office. And it's really not that much different and it's not that hard, but in your head, you start thinking, oh, I don't have time for that, right? 
Right. That would be about switching your desire from what's fast and easy to what's maybe not quite as fast, but what makes you feel so much better and really like focusing on how to have over desire for something where you really want and making it actually way more and mean more to you. Yeah. I am convinced that the number one justifying statement we say to ourselves is I don't have time for that. Oh yeah. Wait, right. That's right. But we make time for all this other stuff, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't have time for that. Yeah, I I totally agree. We hear that all the time. So you've done all this amazing stuff. Tell me about your two biggest goals for the rest of this year. Hmm, Two biggest goals. Um, One of them is I want to keep doing the wine and wellness series. You are what you eat, drink, and think. And I'm going to do those at pop-ups around town. So um, I have an email list to keep doing those. Another one is I really want to continue to do some coaching with individuals and with businesses. I really enjoy that too. Okay, great. How do people find out more about you? Yeah, I'm going to work on getting a website up here pretty soon. Um, since we were still restaurant owners as of July, for, up until July 1st, sure. um, I kind of didn't want that to overlap. So, yeah, I'm going to have that really soon. Right now, they can just email me at uh, com, and they can be added to my email list and get all my updates that way. Cool. Can they connect with you on Facebook? Absolutely. Okay, good. So spell the name again. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Sear, C-Y-R, at me, M-E, dot com. Great. So I got a standard list of closing questions we ask everybody that comes on the show, right? (laughs) And so there's 12 of them, and I'm just looking for the first thing comes to mind. Okay. Okay. What is the best memory that comes to mind for you right away? I really loved taking my kids to the beach when they were like four and five and how just we spent an entire day. We got, we took a bus, we took a plane, we took a train, we took a cab, we took an Uber and we spent like 10 hours traveling and they'd never done any of those things before. And then when we got there, we ran around on the beach and they thought it was like the coolest thing ever. What's your kids' names? May and Boone. Okay. Who's the number one hero in your life? Number one hero would have to be my mom. She's pretty amazing. She's definitely the gutsiest, strongest person I've ever met. She's a client of mine. Yeah, you know her. I do. I do. And she is gutsy. <laughs> She's definitely some uh, an amazing role model. Super highly intelligent and very good at what she does. Yes, she is. All right. Top value you subscribe to? Ooh, I really value that we should get to know ourselves so much more than we do. I think that that has changed my life. Most important person in your life? Can it be two? Well, Sure. I'm going to say those could be two. a tie for the top. <laughs> I'm going to say those two kids. They are just kind of the coolest people I get to hang out with. What's your favorite thing? Honestly, wine is probably one of my favorite things. I really enjoy wine. I'm pretty nostalgic about it. So this is going to be an interesting question. What's your favorite food? Mm. And, and a lot of people consider wine food, right? Right. Not me. No, I have definitely favorite foods. Okay. Um, I, it's a tie between sushi, which I love and a really good authentic Mexican taco. Mm. Most beautiful place you've ever visited? Probably Jamaica. Um, if you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? I'm going to say it's love. How do you want to be remembered? Mm, I, from the very beginning, I've always wanted to help people just kind of make life better for them in any way that it, that meant, whether it's serving you a great plate of food with a perfect glass of wine or helping you kind of figure out what life, how life is going and how it could be better. I don't know. I just, 
I love taking care of people any way I can. What's some advice you would give a younger Sarah? Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) Stay in law school. (laughs) Use that law degree instead of opening a restaurant. No, actually I wouldn't. I'm pretty proud that I was brave enough to not use that law degree because the restaurant business was a total blast. Yeah, I bet. But um, the advice I would give myself is, uh, you know, I think really learning about yourself and what you like and what you don't like and trusting yourself and knowing who you are deep down is really hard to do as a young person. And I would have probably dove into that a little bit more if I would have known more about it. What's your favorite sound? Running water or like a waterfall. I like water. Uh, And the best lesson you've ever learned? Yeah, it's doing the hard, scary things builds so much courage and confidence and it's, it's always worth it. Sarah Sear has been our guest today, health, wellness, and diet coach. And uh, listen to uh, our podcast back just a little bit. Uh, she told you how to get in touch with her. Give them that email again. Sure. It's Sarah Sear at me.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for being a friend. And thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff. Wonderful. Well, I will have more on Better Than Before right after this. We fit a lot of life into our Subaru Forester. Over the years, we trusted it to carry and protect the things that were most important to us. We always knew we had a lot of life ahead of us. That's why we chose a car we knew would be there for us through it all. Welcome to the all-new 2019 Subaru Forester, the SUV for all you love. Test drive one today at University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, always will be here. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday morning coaching memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here. Psychologists asked presidential biographers and scholars to fill out a standard personality assessment on behalf of their subjects. Based on the answers, the researchers calculated how high each president might score on measures of being psychopathic. And this was in the magazine, The Scientific American Mind, and this was done in September of 2016. So this was before the previous presidential election. If you had to guess on wacky presidents, would you have any guesses at all? Mm, I can't think of any. The top five presidents who rank really high on being a psychopath on the scale of this survey is number five, Lyndon B. Johnson. Have you ever seen that movie where Brian Cranston plays Lyndon B. Johnson? I have not seen it. You ought to go out of your way to try to do it because... He's an awesome actor, and he did a great job. You and I both experienced Lyndon B. Johnson just a little bit, right? Right. Okay, here's one we didn't experience, but I've read a couple of books about him. And this is the rough rider himself, Teddy Roosevelt. Really? Teddy Roosevelt ranked number four. 
So, I mean, not everybody's going to go running up San Juan Hill. True. Yeah. Not everybody's going to take on the, uh, I think it was the coal miners, the coal strike or something like that when he was in president, uh, the president's office. Number three, also a president that falls outside our lifetime, but his nickname was Old Hickory, and he lived at the Hermitage. Bill, if you go on Jeopardy, don't take presidents, okay? I will not. Andrew Jackson. Okay. So Andrew Jackson goes number three, and then uh, these two, uh, I did not really, I only experienced three months of his presidency, but he's at number one, and then I lived through two terms of the other one. So at number two is Bill Clinton. Interesting. Bill Clinton is number two on the list of psychopathic behavior. And number one, I only experienced a couple, John F. Kennedy. Wow. John F. Kennedy is number one on the list of psychopathic presidents. I thought it was going to be Richard Nixon. He was number 10. Okay. Yeah, Tricky Dick is number 10 and the whole Watergate fiasco. I'll just give you the top yeah, 10 just real it. quick. Number 10, Richard Nixon. Number 9, Ronald Reagan. Number 8, George W. Bush. Number 7, a president we're not so familiar with, so I have no idea why he made the list, but he must have been wacky in some way. Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to find out more about Chesty. Chester A. Arthur. And number six, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Wow. So you got to be a little wacky to be want to be president, right? I would think. So uh, number five, as we counted them down, Lyndon Johnson. Four, Teddy Roosevelt. Three, Andrew Jackson. Two, Bill Clinton. And number one, John F. Kennedy. And they, they're listed in colors, too. So I can't really show you the colors, but it says those listed in red ranked in the top 10 for psychopathic traits known as self-centered and being impulsive. Uh, and four presidents, which were in bold-faced black, made both top 10 lists. And the numbers in parentheses indicate position on the two lists. So there's a couple of numbers here, but in red is Lyndon B. Johnson and Chester Arthur. <laughs> so they were somewhat self-centered and impulsive. Were there any that you were going to name that didn't make the list? Well, just Richard Nixon was the only one I was thinking. I mean, Gerald Ford fell down a lot, so he didn't. He wasn't upright enough to be psychopathic, <laughs> maybe. And Jimmy Carter didn't make the top ten, so uh, I wasn't too surprised by the list. Right. Well, I would be curious to see where our current president's ranks. Well, I bet he busted the ten. <laughs> I don't know about where he ranks on the ten, but I bet right. he's, he's in the ten. So that's our show today. We're brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Be sure to visit our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com, to learn more about us and also to take advantage of all the resources we have for you there. Blog posts, videos, podcasts, archive, and more. You can download for free my Leadership Influence series. And you can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer Whitney Coker and chief producer William Foster. I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. 
Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.